Tonight we're going to further reflect on the death of our Savior, and we're going to do so by briefly studying Exodus chapter 11 together. At this point in the story, despite nine plagues of God's judgment, Pharaoh has not let God's people go. He has kept them in slavery and in bondage. And his stubbornness in his sin is now bringing about the most severe plague of all. Let's begin by reading chapter 11 together this evening. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come and bow down to me, saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And when he, Moses, went out from Pharaoh in hot anger, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Amen. The fact that the plagues have escalated to the point of death to the firstborn should not surprise us. These plagues, as we have seen over the last three weeks, are personal and specific acts of God's judgment against Pharaoh and against Egypt. It is judgment against Sin And God's word is very clear. The wages of sin is death. And so it should not surprise us that this is the final plague. But it still shocks us, doesn't it? Death is so severe. Particularly, in some ways, death to the firstborn is particularly severe. Throughout history, the firstborn son has been particularly cherished by parents because... The firstborn son is the family's security and future. The firstborn is the heir of their possessions. And as we will see with Pharaoh, his firstborn son was even much more than that. 
And so all of this seems so severe. Why, why would God ever do such a thing as this? But friends, as we consider this together, as we have over the last few weeks, we must keep God's holiness and justice in view. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is a just God. And His holiness and righteousness and justice are right and good for us. It is good, it is right for sin to be punished. Think of the 400 years of bondage that the Israelite people have been enduring. Think of the oppression. Think of the genocide. Think of the cruelty and the abuse. Remember all of the words that Moses used in chapter 1 to describe their enslavement. They were afflicted. They were oppressed. They were made to carry heavy burdens. They were made to work ruthlessly. Their lives were made bitter and they were killed. The evil in Egypt was great. And so it should not surprise us that God's judgment against Egypt was also very great. This is who our God is. He is just and holy. But friends, even as we tremble before the weight of his justice in Egypt, knowing full well that we too deserve such judgment, even as we tremble tonight, we also must rejoice at the fulfillment of his justice in the gospel. Is this plague of death Severe, Yes, it is very severe, but it is no more severe than the plague of death that God would send against his own son many centuries later on a cruel Roman cross. And he did it all for us. This is what we reflect on together this evening. The main idea is simply this. On the cross, God plagued his beloved son in our place. We have two points. Number one, the plague of death. And number two, God's firstborn son. Point number one is the plague of death. In verse four, Moses describes the tenth plague, the final plague, and it is so severe. Notice the words that God tells Moses to say. He tells Pharaoh through Moses that, that every firstborn will die. Everyone, no exception here. Notice all the words of suffering in verse 6. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. This is a final plague to remember. And it feels so harsh. It should feel harsh. Death is bad. Death is an enemy of God. But Christian, let me ask you this question tonight. Does death feel too harsh to you? Does it feel like God is crossing a line at this point? Does it feel like every other plague was appropriate? But, but as soon as we start talking about death, do, do you feel like God has gone too far? My friends, we must be careful when we talk about the severity of God's wrath and judgment. We must be careful to not think that it is inappropriate or unloving or unjust of God to act in this way. Listen, if we think the, that way, if we are embarrassed or surprised by the examples of God's wrath like this in our text, it actually reveals to us that we do not have a biblical understanding of God at all. 
that we don't understand his justice and that we probably don't have a biblical understanding of his grace either. Right? We love to celebrate grace. God's a God of love. We love to celebrate his forgiveness and how he has washed us clean from all of our sins. It is amazing. We, we sing songs about that. But listen, if we celebrate his grace without a right understanding of the severity of his justice and judgment, well then, we have just cheapened and even distorted his grace. R.C. Sproul wrote the book, The Holiness of God, an amazing book. And in that book, he says repeatedly that it's not examples of God's judgment as seen in texts like this that should shock our souls. This shouldn't shock us. Grace and mercy towards us who are deserving of this, that should shock us. And friends, that's exactly right. It's not God's judgment that should shock our system. The fact that God would ever spare us from his judgment, that is what should amaze us tonight. Friends, think about how much Pharaoh in Egypt deserved God's judgment. Think about the false worship and the gross idolatry. You know, one of the, one of the reasons why God ends with the death of the firstborn in this series of plagues is because he is continuing to undermine each of the Egyptian gods. And Pharaoh himself thought of himself as a god. Egypt believed that Pharaoh was a deity, and so his firstborn son was the heir or the deity apparent. He was the future security of Egypt, and God is just undermining him as well. And not only that... But the Egyptians cared a lot about death and how they died. It has been said that, that no culture in human history has given as much attention to death and the afterlife as the ancient Egyptian culture. They had a god of the dead. His name was Osiris. Osiris apparently had an assistant god whose name was Anubis, the god of the underworld, who apparently supervised the embalming and the burial process. And this god apparently was depicted in many of the pictures with a dog's head, which might be why we see a dog referenced in verse 7 as remaining silent. Anubis, this, this god of the underworld, can't do anything before Yahweh in his judgment of death. Friends, this judgment against Egypt and their, their gods, it should not surprise us. The, the idolatry that they lived in, the immorality that they lived in, the wages of sin is death. And they have sinned greatly. And my friends, this is not just true for Egypt. This is true for us. Right? Pharaoh is a stubborn, stubborn man. But so are we in our sin. Friend, consider your sin with me this evening. Consider how hard your heart would be before the Lord drew you to himself. Consider how you used to live in the many things that you have done. Consider how you ignored your conscience day after day. Think about the years of living for yourself and not for God. Worshipping the God of self, worshipping the God of comfort, worshipping the God of prosperity, the God of sex, the God of pleasure. How long were you a workaholic before God showed you a better way? How long were you addicted to pornography before God redeemed you? 
How long were you happy to be a moral and self-righteous and self-made person, refusing to look at the own sinfulness of your own heart, even while you were happy to judge other people? Oh, friends, I think about myself. I think about what God has been doing in my own heart, even over the last two years how he has been using people very close to me to, to show me how much I worship false gods on a daily basis. How much I worship success. How much I worship the God of having a, a successful and growing church family. How much I, I worship the God of people telling me that I'm a really good preacher or a really good pastor or, or a really good friend. How much I crave that. How much I bow down to that. How much I, I worship control and, and productivity and how, how stubborn I have been to not prioritize the right things in my life even when God has convicted me about them again and again and again. Church, Pharaoh was a very stubborn man, but so am I apart from God's grace and so are you apart from his grace. And so when we read hard texts like this in Exodus chapter 11, when we read about God's judgment in our Bibles, we should not be surprised or shocked by it. It is exactly what we should expect. Do you know what we should not expect? Do you know what should truly amaze us? The abundance of his grace. That is what should shock us. That he would ever have, have mercy on men and women like you and me. The extravagance and undeserved nature of his grace. That should make us blush this evening. It should feel scandalous to us. But his grace and his mercy is exactly what we have been given in Christ upon that cross. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two. God's firstborn son. And I think most of us would immediately think that Jesus is God's firstborn son, right? And in a sense, that's true. Jesus in the New Testament is described as the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn of the dead. He has the supreme place of honor before his father. He is the heir of all things. But did you know that, that in the context of Exodus, Jesus is not God's firstborn son? He's not. Do you know who is? Israel is. God's chosen people. God's people hold this special place of honor. If you look back in chapter 4, verse 23, God warns Pharaoh and he says this. He says, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Israel is God's firstborn son. And friends, this is why God has made a distinction between Egypt and Israel throughout the first nine plagues. These plagues have not touched Israel because of God's great love for his people. Yahweh has lovingly, graciously spared them. But in this tenth plague, even God's firstborn son is not going to be spared. Why? Because the wages of sin is death, and Israel has sinned before God's holiness as well. Death is coming to every household in Egypt, including the households of the Israelites. Except, except if they follow God's instruction to sacrifice 
a lamb. A pure and spotless lamb. An innocent lamb. A lamb that had done no wrong. If they take a lamb like this and kill this lamb and then put the blood of this lamb on the doorposts of their house, in a sense, covering their homes, in a sense, covering their whole lives with its blood, if they do that, God will pass over them and not judge them. He would not kill their firstborn son. Why? Because they are his firstborn son. Because God so loved them, God so wanted a relationship with his people despite their sin that he invented, that he made a way for their sins to be punished under his wrath, but for them to be spared. Friends, as we're going to see this Sunday, this is what chapter 12 and the Passover is all about. The Passover is God's perfect preview of the gospel. The gospel in which God so wanted to save his firstborn son, his chosen people. For God so loved the world. He so wanted to save his people. Friend, he so wanted to save you that he was willing to send his only begotten son, Jesus, to become a spotless lamb in your place. This is why John the Baptist, who came before Jesus, said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because Jesus was the ultimate Passover lamb. God so loved us that he wanted to spare us from the great cry of agony that we see in verse 6 going up throughout all of Egypt like never before. God did not want the anguish of death to come upon you or upon your family or upon me. And so what did he and his son agree to do together? They agreed before the foundation of the world that they would lovingly, graciously, mercifully send the son into this world as the spotless lamb of God to cry out in anguish for us. Oh, there was a very great cry throughout the land of Egypt because of this plague. But there was an even greater cry on the cross of Calvary, on the cross where the Lamb of God cried out, Elohim, the Bashavachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he cried out so that you would not have to cry out. He drank the cup of God's wrath so that you would not need to drink a drop. The, the Son of God himself was put to shame on that cruel cross so that you and I would not be put to shame, but rather be put into the place of honor again so that we might be forgiven and made new, so that we would be made alive, so that we might be God's firstborn son again. Oh, friends, this is what we remember and celebrate together this Good Friday night. The joy of Sunday does not happen without the sorrow and agony and pain and death of this Friday. God's grace cannot be fully experienced if we ignore or rush by the severity of his wrath and judgment. No, God's grace, God's salvation for you comes through judgment, but judgment not upon you, upon his substitutionary atonement, his own son. On the cross, God plagued his son in our place. 
Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Listen, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This, dear church family, is what God has done for us through the gospel and through the work of his son on that cross. Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows like a lamb led to the slaughter. Oh, friends, may we humbly stand in awe before this God of all grace. May we not be shocked by the reality of his judgment. No, may we be shocked tonight by the reality of his grace and mercy. Amen.